uh, I'm going to set my black bag down there, and you're going to wonder what's in it this whole time. That's just a little uh, curiosity, to pique your curiosity. I, um, Lori's right. We started this back in April. My throat's really dry. I'm sorry. I have to. Um, we started this back in April with the series on what is worship, and we looked at God's unfolding story from Genesis to Revelation and what did worship look like in the pages of Scripture. And we just kind of hopped. I remember doing that message because I could tell by the looks on people's faces it was hard to like keep up with the whole sweep of the story, and I was barely able to you know keep my breath. But we did that, and now we're going to uh, take a look at worship as worshiping the one true God and freedom from idolatry. And uh, I'll go on record right now as saying this is the single most difficult message I've ever had to prepare or spend time sharing. Um, so in a minute when we pray, it's actually a prayer for myself, a prayer for, prayer for me uh, to get through. But the next three weeks will be interesting because then um, Ben will come back next week and talk about um, Jesus said, if you want to find real life, you have to lose your life. So he'll unpack surrender in that context. And then I'll come back and we'll talk about what's unique about worship through song, worshiping through song in terms of the vineyard and what are some of the vineyard values and vineyard distinctives about worship. And then we'll finish out and Lori will be our anchor runner with the baton at the end. And she'll finish out with looking at um, the lifelong journey of worshiping God and finding strength through um, God's joy. So that's what's ahead. We're very excited about it. Um, and we'll just, with that, we'll just get started. And we'll have dramatic pauses occasionally as I drink my water because I'm extraordinarily parched and I don't know how that happened. Normally, uh, I'm used to, uh, singing and, and worshiping with you guys. So I thought maybe I would set the sermon to music, but that's about a 25 minute song. So I thought maybe that's not such a good idea. Uh, for, before I get started, I'd like, I'd like to thank Tim Keller, who's uh, the pastor of uh, Redeemer Lutheran Church, for his article talking about idolatry in a postmodern age. And this article, I'm basically talking to you from his article. So if something's really profound and, and amazing, uh, I give the credit to Tim Keller. If it's not amazing, uh, I'll take the fall, uh, because it was probably in my treatment of it that it wasn't amazing. So let me, with that, let's get started. We'll pray. I'll pray, and then uh, we'll, jump, we'll dive in. So, Lord, thank you for who you are and, and what you've already done in our lives. Thank you that you love us, you pursue us, and you chase us. And that our only response, our only valid response is to love you back. And so, Lord, it's in that spirit that we just want to spend some time now hearing from you about worshiping you as our one true God and displacing all other rivals to the central place that you hold in our hearts and lives. In your name. So, the um, I want to start with one piece here. Actually, I want to, in my work context, we, we talk a lot about level setting. Level settings, like just making sure we're all starting from the same point. So I just want to do a couple, 
I, actually, if we could do a pinky swear, this is the pinky swear I want to do with you guys at the beginning here. The pinky swear is we're going to talk about this in a way that's not about shame, blame, guilt, condemnation, judgmentalism. That's not what this is all about. So if we could just pinky swear that if that ever creeps up in your mind, just reject it out of hat and and just say, that's not what this is about. This is not about blame, shame, guilt. This is about God chasing us, pursuing us, and then our our only response to him is to surrender our lives to him. So can we make that pinky swear? Can we make the pinky swear? Do you know how to do that? Oh, she's she's a trooper. She's even got a wrist guard. Pinky swear? Okay. Because that's honestly the the biggest thing that's intimidated me about this message is is that this hits me right where I am. I'm, I mean, and I'll share a little bit of my personal story and my personal journey on this thing. And so I feel like this is an all-in kind of a thing where we're all in this together. It's not a me, you. It's not an us, them. It's a we together. So as long as we keep the pinky swear, we'll be good. So the first thing is everyone worships. Everyone worships. From the very beginning, as human beings, we were made to worship. That's how we were wired. And you could probably start any talk in Genesis because that's where it all begins. And this is a real test because we don't have the scripture on the screen. So when I say turn to your Bible or your Bible app, you really have to do that now because it's not going to be the words on the screen for you, at least not in the version of the PowerPoint I looked at. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And if uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are some up here. Um, you know. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And we pick up in the, in the creation story after God has made the heavens, the earth, the sea, the plants, the animals. And he's about to hit the grand finale. He's about to make us. He's about to make humans. And this is what the scriptures record. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So we're made in his image. We're stamped with his identity. He signs his name on us as he breathes life into us as humans. And so because he made us, we're his. We belong to him. And that means we serve him. He made us. We serve him. The other thing that's interesting is it says they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, So he's made human beings to serve himself, to serve him. But he's also, there's something about reigning over the created order, reigning over creation, reigning over created things as part of our experience of worshiping God, serving him because we're his, he made us. So when we say we're hardwired for this thing, that's how he set the whole thing up. He made us, we're his, we serve him. And there's something about reigning and ruling over the created order that's linked, tightly linked to serving him and worshiping him. Why is this important? Well, it's important because 
what we're going to talk about, idolatry and idols, we're going to find that all that is is the created order getting upside down. And instead of, as humans, reigning over created things, we let a created thing have rule or power over us. So since we're wired for worship, we're always worshiping. It's just a matter of who or what we're worshiping. It's like the, you know, in the summer, a lot of times you have to keep the, you know, landscaping and the lawn watered. And I don't have the fancy little hand plunger thing that turns the water on and off at the end of the hose. I just have the blank hose uh, with nothing on it. Once you turn that on and you walk any distance, that water is always on. And it's just a matter of where are you pointing it. And it's the same way. We're always worshiping. We're all, we always have somebody at the center of our lives. It's just a matter of who's there. Who's there at the center? So the water's always wrong. And I want to illustrate this with you now. We're going to play a little bit of a little social experiment, but it's safe. There's no shock therapy involved, I promise. You know, this is the, the old classic game. I challenge you to think about nothing. We're going to take about 10 seconds. We're going to think about nothing. Ready? Go. Uh, nope. I saw it. Nope. Nope. Fail. You can't. can't think about nothing. It, my son points out to me, he's 12, and so he's at this perfect age. Dad, even if you're thinking about nothing, you're thinking about something. Therefore, you're not thinking about nothing. The point is that... In the same way that you can't really think about nothing, you can't really not worship. The hose is always running. It's a matter of what direction is it pointed in. So we're made to worship. Everyone worships. And now go back to the story in Genesis. Look at what happens after one page turn. One, one page turn or 35 verses later, Adam and Eve decide to value a created thing or the potential or promise that that created thing held for them, the fruit of the tree that God said, don't eat of this thing. They were convinced that the knowledge of good and evil was a better trade than obedience to God. Now they had a little help from the sneaky serpent who did a little convincing there. But they made a trade, and the trade was... My interpretation of what's going to be good for me, that, that the created thing or the, or the potential that that created thing had over the uncreated God and what he says is important for my life and what he lays out as the ground rules for my best life. They made that trade. And before we get too hard on Adam and Eve, we all make that trade. Every single one of us. We make that trade every time we decide to value our version of the truth over his. In the modern vernacular, that would be called a lie. We propagate a version of our own reality that's not quite aligned with what's really real. And so in doing this, it flips, as I said, the created order upside down. Instead of Adam and Eve ruling over every plant, every fish, every bird, 35 verses ago, the way he originally set it up, they're serving something else now. Something else has moved to the center of their circle. We had a um, one of the coolest gifts. It was the cheapest 
toy we ever bought. It was this little um, plastic compass, and it's not a compass like Navigation North. It's a, you know, you put the pencil in one end, and then it has a little pointy thing on the other end, and you can draw perfect circles with this thing. My boys, 12 and, and 7, they just love this thing. We we must have played for hours. Nathan's in the back, by the way. You can wave at him. We must have played for hours with this thing. And it, the cool thing about it is it draws a perfect circle. But once you take the anchor out of the center, unless you kind of cheat and look at the page from the side, you see where the little indent is and where the center of the circle is. If you just if you don't cheat and try to come back and draw a perfect circle again, it's a little bit off to find the true center. So the point is, a circle only has one center. It only has one perfect center. And the way God set up in Genesis with Adam and Eve and the way he set it up when he created us is that he's the one true center of the circle of our lives. And so what we're going to see is that idolatry and worshiping idols is when we allow something else to take the one true center of the circle of our lives. So in one fell swoop, Adam and Eve, 35 verses later, they, they, they upside down this thing and they find themselves worshiping this pursuit of the knowledge of good and evil, perhaps, or whatever they felt that forbidden fruit held for them, whatever promise or potential they felt was there, they were now serving that potential rather than serving the life-giving commands from God. Does that make sense as a starting point in Genesis? So the second thing then going from there is that we worship what we value and trust most. We we worship what we value and trust most. It's not any real coincidence that the first two of the Ten Commandments are about serving God alone and worshiping no one else. So now we're going to, I think these are these words are on the screen, but still, if you're if you're following along in your phone or your um, Bible, we're going to look at Exodus twenty, Exodus chapter twenty verses one through five, and we're just going to read this section. The first two commandments. What, what are those? Just a reminder for everyone. Exodus 21 through 5 says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourselves an idol or of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. And as we read this, do we read it in the context of God who's just chasing us, who's loving us, who already gave everything for us, and all he's asking for return is that we do the same. He already gave everything for us. He's just asking for the same in return, that we give everything for him. He's not trying to crash the party here. He's not trying to make our lives more difficult and burden us with these commandments. These are life-giving commands. These are like parents telling their children, look left, then right, then left before you cross the road, at least in you know, places of the world where you drive on the right-hand side of the road. If, if you're in other places, you look right, then right, left, then right. Just FYI, I learned that. I was traveling in New Zealand, and they've got it a little backwards. Although they said... You may drive on the right side of the road, Jeff, but we drive on the correct side of the road. But we, why do we do that? We do that for our kids. It's not because we're trying to make their lives miserable or about rule following. It's because we have their best interests at heart. And so when he sets this up, the Ten Commandments, these are life-giving rules. I have your best interests at heart. 
And so this is about God chasing us. And so Martin Luther observed that because of this, we can't really break any of the following eight life-giving rules without first breaking the first two. What are the first two? You must not have any other God but me. That's the first one. The second one is you must not make for yourself any kind of thing that would take my place in your life. Ben, in his message last week, reminded us about 1 John 5. He kind of, John ends his letter very abruptly. You remember that? It's like he's going on about loving each other and loving God and then, you know, e-break. And then there's this phrase at the end that's very oddly timed. It says, keep yourselves away from things that would take your hearts and minds away from God or that would keep you from loving God fully, something to that effect. In one translation, it says, uh, keep yourselves from idols. Well, just we got kind of lucky in the sermon series planning because that led right into this. But the observation is the root of all sin or the things we do to lead ourselves away from God is idolatry. If the garden hose is always on, the water's always running, we're always worshiping, we're made to worship, we were wired that way, then the root of doing anything that leads us away from him is letting somebody else or something else, a created thing, occupy what only the uncreated God has a spot in the center of that perfect circle. So hopefully all those images kind of coalesce in your mind in a similar way that they're jelly in mind. Self is at the center of pretty much any any breaking of any life-giving rule that we ever experience in our lives. Somehow we let the created order get upside down and something created or the potential of something created ends up being the master over us instead of us over it. And then we end up serving that thing instead of serving the God who made us. That's the point. The other one is we worship what we, we said two things. We worship what we value most and we worship what we trust most. So when we're trusting God most, we're inclined towards an outward expression of love and surrender towards him. And this is a tricky one. Who are you trusting? It's not always clear, and we'll talk a little bit about that. The heart is a tricky thing because we don't always see what's there. We see it through our own kind of lens, our own experience, our own you know, the culmination of our life's experiences lead to how we see ourselves, how we see what's in our heart. And so sometimes we need others to reflect into our lives to see what's there. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Dramatic pause, drink. I think it's the singing and speaking combination I got to watch out for. So what is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of anything or anyone other than God. Something grabs our attention. Something so compelling grabs our attention more than our maker grabs our attention. And this is perhaps no easier than in this present day and age. 
when uh, I don't I didn't bring it, but my yeah I did. See, case in point. I'm not ready to go into my personal story yet, but this is part of it. It's just it's so easy to get wrapped around the axle around things like technology, these mobile devices. They're great. They're convenient. There's nothing evil about them at all. They're very useful to us. But there's that fine line where it begins to just, it begins to use you instead of you using it. It, 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 Some of you are nodding. You know what that feels like. You feel like, I'm not checking my phone anymore. My phone's checking me. If every two minutes I'm compelled and compul, you know, I have a compulsion to check. It's just like, who's, who's using whom? Did I use the grammar right there, Lori? So to take it a little bit further, in the Bible, when we talk about idols, it's easy to think about, well, the golden calf is, uh, you know, that's the, the prototypical example of an idol, the golden calf. And so maybe we don't have to worry because if that's an example of idol, has anybody made a golden calf? Raise your hand if you made a golden calf. Anybody? Oh, we're good. All right, worship. Ready? Laura, go. Oh, you have made one. <laughs> All right, well, you proved, you proved me wrong. Thank you. But what are idols in our day today, though? I'll just list a few. I mean, the list is long. Because if the definition of idolatry or worshiping idols is worshiping anything but God, that list is a long list. Materialism and wealth. Food and drink. Pleasure or comfort. These kinds of things. How about health and fitness? Can that become an idol? Can that move in and take the center of the perfect circle of our lives? Or sex and pleasure. Is there anything wrong? Or intelligence, education, achievement. These are tough ones because there's nothing wrong with any one of those things in and of themselves. It's when something happens and the scale tips and somehow the importance or the weight or the value of them gets out of place. It gets disproportional relative to the spot that God truly occupies as the center of our lives. He made us, we're his, we serve him. So, however, some of the idols that we are faced with in our lives are actually just counterfeits of good things. They're actually wrong, and it's not about it's not about a scale or a tipping point of a good thing taken in excess. They're just prejudice, greed, envy, lust, deceit. Those kinds of things, those are just realities of the present evil age we live in. And so those are other kinds of things that can end up taking root in our lives. There's really two kinds of things. One's good things taken in excess. And the other one is just things that, you know, realities of this present evil age that are never good, but they're things that can weasel their way into the center of our lives. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that first one, the good things in excess. 
These are particularly tricky to identify and receive God's help. Remember we said that the heart is, I think there's even a scripture about the heart is something about deceiving or deceitful. It's tough to know what's in your own heart. And so how do you know if you're taking the health and fitness kick too far? I'll share a little bit about my journey there. How do you know if education, instead of becoming a godly pursuit, has become something you're now placing your hope and trust in at the center of your life? So it's not easy, and this is the challenging part as I've wrestled with this message, and this is back to our pinky swear. Remember, we're not going to feel judged. We're not going to feel blame, shame, guilt. That's not what this is about. This is about responding to God's love, pursuing us, chasing us. He made us. We're his. But the challenge is, as already not yet people, we're stuck in this tension. Remember Ben's got that little door spring? I don't know where he put it, but pretend like this is a door spring. Okay? He has that spring and he pulls it and it's, it's this tension between two things that are simultaneously true. When we say we're already not yet people, we talk about the kingdom of God is already here, but yet it's not quite fully here until Jesus returns. And so we find ourselves in the same tension with respect to this arena. We're already fully free from these things that would, you know, divert our attention from the one true God. We're already fully free from those things. And simultaneously, we're not yet fully free. Simultaneously. In fact, some of these tensions are the, uh, they're the spectrum along which these things are either idols or not in our lives. Take the take the um, the uh, wealth one. On one hand, is the truth that God provides everything for us, and on the other hand, is the truth that there's value in work. There's value in working hard. So on the one hand of the tension, it's all about God's provision. But on the other hand of the tension, it's all about working and working hard even. So if we let go of one of the ends of the spring, like Ben talks about, we camp out. It's, it, it alleviates the tension. It creates, it's easier because it's a state of ease. Instead of living in the tension, we're living at ease because we let go of one end of the spring. If you just said, well, it's all up to God, he'll provide. That is totally true, but it's not the only thing that's totally true. It's also about working hard and putting our hands to the things that we do in our lives. The other, the other one, the other extreme, and this is where I'll share my personal story is I let go of that end about it all being about God providing and I camp out and it's all about me. If I don't make this happen, it's not going to happen. That becomes an idol and, and has been and is something I continue to struggle with. It's all about me and what I do, because if I don't do it, that's not going to happen. So that's, this doesn't make a very good spring, but we tried. That's the tension we live in. So if you feel crazy, if you feel like a schizophrenic, you know, schizophrenic paranoia person, it's because we live in that tension. On the one hand, we're saying, okay, I trust you, Lord. And the next moment, I'm worried about the pay cut that's coming because of rolling layoffs at work. 
And it can be within the same minute. In second number 27 of that minute, I'm just totally trusting God like, you've got this. I know you do. And by second number 35 in that same minute, I'm worried about, okay, if we get 25% less in, what are we going to cut on the outside to match? So these are not easy things. It's difficult to get good things in the right doses so they don't become idols. Now we're going to get a little specific. Remember our pinky swear. I'm with you guys. You're with me. This isn't about a finger-pointing thing, but I, I do feel like God was highlighting a couple specific things. If we can just... Be open, let him speak. I, I think we'll be I think we'll be in a better place. Food and drink. Food and drink are good things. And they're necessary things. But I think for some of us, they occupy a spot in our lives where we've placed too much weight, too much value on either the food or drink themselves or the potential or promise that they appear to offer us. What might that look like? How about emotional eating? Emotional eating. This is where there's something going on. There's an emptiness we're feeling with food and, and we're the path to our heart is through our stomach in that, in that sense. So emotional eating. Or we come to the realization, or maybe we're still in denial of the of the reality that we're no longer having the drink. The drink is having us. My biological father's an alcohol, alcoholic. Not an alcohol, he's an alcoholic. And uh, he's been sober for 30 plus years. But he came to a point where he realized the drink was having him. He wasn't having the drink anymore. And that's where that created thing has more weight at the center of someone's life than the uncreated God who made us. Health and fitness are wonderful. I'm a big fan of health and fitness. My family, we're probably... The last 15 years, we've been on a journey of health and fitness, eating right, you know. So uh, please understand, I'm not condemning any of these things that are good. But at the same time, are we trusting in the health and fitness to save us? Or are we trusting in God? Which one? We value what we trust most. We we. We worship what we trust most and we worship what we value most. So how much weight is on these things relative to the weight that's on the one who made us and who loves us and who gave everything for us? How about wealth or material belongings? There's nothing wrong with wealth or material belongings until they become something we're counting on more than we're counting on the provision that God gives and provides for us. So again, these are all intention 
on the one hand, it is all about God's provision. On the other hand, it is about the value of work and working hard. Those things are simultaneously true. And so it's really just a personal journey of each person with the Holy Spirit asking, hey, Lord, what do you see at the center? What do you, are you, you know, what do you see at the center of my life? Are you there? And again, it's a moment by moment <laughs> deal. One second, you're right there. God, you're, you're providing. The next minute, you're back to trusting yourself because you're worrying. And worrying is as a result of not trusting God. So this is where, remember I set up the black bag. So you'd be wondering what was in here. Oh, yeah. You know what these are? These are all the trophies and awards I've won running marathons. Oh, yeah. Now, the reality is they're just finishing medals. It's like, oh, you crossed. Good job. Here you go. <laughs> I, I don't run fast enough to become anywhere near like placing in those races. But I, I did this. Right? I ran these races. I earned these medals. So this is my idol of achievement. Just to give you a little insight in myself, I am a goal-setting freak. Okay, people, my friends tease me because I carry little index cards around with my goals for the next six weeks, and I, just, you know, and I don't rest until they're done. There's nothing wrong with being that way, by the way, in in and of itself. <laughs> but again, it's it's a, it's the spring, it's the it's the tension on either end of the spring. There's nothing wrong with setting goals and achieving goals. But how much weight do they hold? Do I begin trusting those things? Do I begin valuing my achievements above valuing the one who enables me to achieve anything? And so to me, my personal struggle in this whole thing is that is achievement and and the the idol of accomplishment probably how I would say it the idol of accomplishment and it probably ties to wealth it ties it perhaps ties a little bit to materialism those kinds of things but it's when it's when it becomes about what i did more than the one who loves me the one who enables me the one who equips me to do anything that i do in my life and so do i have a heart posture of being able to value the achievement without it hanging around my neck and actually holding me back from experiencing the real life that Jesus intends? Can I live in that tension of valuing my accomplishments because it is about the value of work and the value of working hard, but it's also about God who's made us, who loves us, who provides everything we need. So, do I have the courage to let those achievements not hang around my neck, but instead be placed in a va- in, a, in their pr- appropriate context, their appropriate set of weights and values attached to those, without them becoming the middle, without them taking the center stage, without them distracting me and dividing my attentions, 
dividing my heart from the God who just wants all of me. Because that's what he gave. Does that connect with you? Does that resonate with you? We're still back to the pinkies where this isn't about blame, shame, or guilt. If you feel that, give that up to God and say, Lord, I don't want blame, shame, guilt, condemnation. That's not from you. But I do want the light of your truth. I do want you to shine a light on my life. So that's what we want to move to next is what do we do? This is all well and good, but what do we do? I'm going to leave you with four things. I, br- I mentioned the, the phrase, shine a bright light. Ask the Holy Spirit to shine his bright light on the metals that might be around your neck, the things that might have taken a center stage spot in your life. And if they weren't on your list, that doesn't mean you're off the hook. He knows who you are. He knows where you're at. Ask him to do that. And, and, and here's the thing that I've found is he's so loving and merciful. He usually only hammers me about one thing at a time. He doesn't just completely overwhelm me and bowl me over with, you know, nine things that he wants me to change at the same time. He knows us. He knows who we are and what our limitations are. And it, here's how, here's how it happens with me. When I ask the Holy Spirit to shine a bright light on the things that are around my neck that are taking center stage instead of, instead of who God is and what he's done, it's like I've got the, I've started to put on the metal. I don't even know I've started to do it. This is how it works for me. It's just a slow, gradual process. I, I've got the metal and then God just puts his arm around me. Amen. I just want to talk to you about something, man. You know that metal you got around your neck? That's mine. I know you ran the race, but I just want you to know I'm the center. I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who gave you legs that you could run. That's how it happens. One one at a time. He doesn't come at all nine of them or ten of them that are around my neck at once. It's just one at a time. So ask the Holy Spirit to shine a bright light and trust that he's merciful and knows your capacity to deal with stuff. And it's hard, and so he usually just does one at a time. The second one is surrender that part of your life to him. I know that's so easy to stand here and say, just surrender. So here's a couple of maybe practical ways that that could look for you. We Laura did a nice job of picking songs, and we kind of worked it together, picking songs about this thing to where we could sing to God, sing to Jesus, and give him stuff that maybe is he's already shining in a bright light for you on something. You can just give it to him through the words of the song. These are like, you know, songs that we sing are like Hallmark cards. They say something that you've always wanted to know how to say, but they say it for you on the card. A professional wrote them. That's what these songs, professional people, you know, they crafted the words of these songs so that we could sing them like Hallmark cards to God. So maybe that's one way, a practical way today that you could begin to surrender. Also, we, Lamar, as we lead uh, time of praying for each other, I'm way over time, I apologize. As we lead ministry time, humble yourself to be prayed for in some way. If you're feeling like, the Holy Spirit's already shining a bright light on some metal around your neck. Uh, allow yourself to be prayed for. That's another way you can surrender. 
The third one is ask Jesus to fill your heart with even more love for him. Ask Jesus to fill your heart with even more love for him. Because the cool thing about that is the more he does that and the more full of love we are for him, the less room there is for these other things. To take it really personal for a second, in my relationship with Amy, my wife, the more in love with her I am, the more full my heart is with just love for my wife, the less room there is for other, you know, the promise of other loves and affections to enter in to my heart. Being tugged away by whatever or whomever. The more full I am for love for my wife, the less room there is for other stuff. Same with God. The more love for Jesus he gives us for him, the less room there is for anything else to come in, take an inappropriate spot in the middle of our lives. And then the fourth one is persevere in the already not yet tension, especially when you are drawn back repeatedly to the same thing. Because do you think this was a one-time shot? And it, running was my example, but it's, it's, it's way broader than that in my life. It's any goal I accomplish, anything I achieve becomes that thing for me, becomes that medal. It's not a one and done deal. I'd be great if we could take a little magic pill and solve it permanently, but that's not how it works. We live in this already yet tension. And so it's, it actually is a good thing because we grow through it. God builds character in us. We learn to depend on others who can see things that we can't ourselves see. And we have to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit because we don't have the power to change. That's the bottom line. We don't have the power to change. And so persevering is so important. Keep pressing forward. Don't let slip-ups and feel like every t- because you got drawn back to the same thing over and over and over and you can't make, break free, don't let that thing beat you up. Get prayer Sing out your heart to God, whatever it is, but don't give up on a thing. So let's wrap this up. We've seen that everyone worships. Everyone worships. That's how we're wired. We're made to do this thing. We worship what we value, what we trust most. And idolatry is simply worshiping anything or anyone except God. It's letting something else at the center of our lives. Jesus wants us to love and trust him more than anyone or anything else in our lives. And and again, it's just giving back to him everything. He, he gave it all. He's just asking for the same in return. We can do that by asking God to highlight areas of our heart that may have divided loyalties. So shine a bright light. Holy Spirit, shine a bright light. Show me. The second one was surrender it to him with the help of others. Um, sing it out in worship, through song, whatever, whatever the means that God gives you, the means of grace he gives you to surrender. Follow his lead on that. The third one is be filled with more love for Jesus. Ask him to fill your heart more and more with love for him because, again, he leaves less room for everything else to creep in. And then persevere. If you find yourself hitting the same one over and over and over, just keep persevering. So that's the um, 
that's the message, and I, I feel like we kept the pinky swears. I appreciate that. So, like, we kept it real, and it was about, it's an us thing, it's a we thing, we're all in this together. So, right now, um, actually, I just want to point forward. Next week, Ben will share his message about finding real life through surrendering to God. Jesus said, if anyone wants to find their life, he'll lose it. They must lose it first. We'll unpack a little bit more on the surrender piece that we set up today. So let's uh, go for it now as we um, worship God and experience him through the giving of um, tithes and offerings from the money that we've earned. Remember the spring? It's all God, God's provision, and it's about the money we work hard to earn. And uh, I'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll just keep going. So, Lord, thank you for who you are and, and what you've done. And we just, uh, we ask you now to shine a bright light on our lives. Show us the one thing maybe that you're highlighting where you want us to just surrender that thing to you and, and have you move into that rightful place in our hearts. And Lord, for, for those for whom you're already there, we just thank you. Thank you that you're in the very center of their lives. And we give our time and attention to you now as we give of the money that you've allowed us to earn. And as we sing our hearts out to you, just loving you, Jesus, through the words of these songs. In your name, amen.